Good morning. morning. Never fails. I am a magnet for technical difficulty. You please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning and the opportunity to gather and study your word and glorify your name. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Fear and doubt. Oh, beautiful day. Let's talk about fear and doubt. We've all at some point in our lives experienced fear and doubt. And if you think you haven't, that's what we call denial, but that's a different lesson. So our gospel reading this morning has three elements, the first of which is fear. I want you to think about a time in your life when you've experienced fear or anxiety, or uncertainty. And when I'm talking about fear, like I said, I'm not talking about horror movie kind of fear. I'm talking about that deep, anxious fear that I don't know what's going to happen, Lord. Um, The online dictionary defines fear as a feeling of anxiety concerning the outcome of something or the uncertainty of what's going to happen. And throughout the Bible, we see examples of fear In the Old Testament, we have Gideon. God wanted him to free the Israelites, but out of fear, he questioned God and even tested God. And in Judges 6.15, he pleads with God and questions, please, Lord, how can can I free the Israelites? How, How can I do this? I'm the least in my father's house, and I'm a member of the weakest clan in the tribe. Then we have Moses. Moses was afraid. He had escaped Egypt. He was living a comfortable life as a shepherd. God appears to him, free the Israelites. Moses questions God, who am I? I mean, what am I going to do? But not only was he afraid of what God was asking him to do, you remember why he fled Egypt in the first place. He was afraid of what was going to happen if he showed his face back there. You know, you can't really kill somebody and then take off and come back and everything be hunky-dory. And then probably the best one of all is Jonah. Jonah was so afraid that he ran, he tried to run from God. And we all know how that ended up. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We'll start in verse 19. And they're in this locked room. I'm going to set the scene a little bit. I imagine this room is dimly lit. The curtains are pulled conversation is hushed if they're talking at all because they're afraid to draw attention to themselves. They're hiding. Earlier in the chapter, verses one through nine, we know that Peter and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, have seen the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene went, she saw the empty tomb, she went and got them. They came back, investigated and so I'm, I'm, I'm certain that they're sitting around the room and they're giving their account of walking into the empty tomb. However, in verse 18, Mary Magdalene says she has had an encounter with Jesus. She's seen the risen Lord. So I'm sure there's some sidebar conversations going, tell us about your encounter with Jesus. But regardless of what's going on, they're afraid. They're afraid of the religious leaders. They're afraid of the Jews who were hollering for Christ's crucifixion. Most importantly, they're afraid of the uncertainty of the future. 
I imagine that there's anxiety. And I try to put myself in their shoes and wonder, you know, how would that weigh on my heart? What would be going through my mind? And I'm sure there's a strong possibility that they're even questioning the teachings of Jesus and what they've witnessed and, and, and listened to and observed over the past three years. I'm sure that that fear and anxiety is starting to just kind of weigh on their hearts. If the wind blows or the floor creaks, what was that? You know, Who, who's coming? And you're taking turns peeking out the curtain at the, at the window. So fear is a natural human reaction to things that are beyond our control. And much like the disciples, when we don't know what the future holds, we become afraid. We become anxious, uneasy. And there are fears that in this day and age that we experience. It could be something such as the loss of a job. The uncertainty of, well, how will I provide for my family? How will I meet my obligations? Will we lose our house? Or there could be a medical diagnosis of an aging parent, perhaps a child, or even yourself. What does the future hold? How will, how will we support? There's that uncertainty, that anxiety. Will the insurance help cover any of these payments? How am I going to work and go through treatments? How am I going to support a parent in this, in this time of their life? Yet again, there could be a separation or a divorce. Not only the, the uncertainty of how that impacts the, the spouses, but how that impacts children or extended families. How does that dynamic work out? But it's even in these darkest moments that God promised us in Isaiah 41.10, do not be afraid, for I am always with you. And that's good news. That's great news. It's fantastic. And we'll get back to that in a minute. The second element we see in this gospel is doubt. And here's where Thomas comes in. Poor, poor Thomas. How would you like for that to be your legacy? <laughs> Thomas doubted. And keep in mind, Thomas wasn't the only one that doubted in, this, in the gospel. He wasn't the only one that doubted the resurrection of Jesus. However, in verse 25, it tells us the disciples have told Thomas because he wasn't there the first time that they have seen the risen Lord. And he's like, dude, I don't believe it. I, unless I see the wounds in his hands, unless I can touch them and put my hand in his side, I will never, he says, never believe. Some common, uh, commentaries even su suggest that Thomas told them, I think you saw a ghost. He's gone that far to where he didn't believe, he doubted. The doubt was so strong in him that perhaps it was a ghost. But again, he refuses to believe until he physically sees and touches. Another account of doubt is Matthew 28, 17. Now picture this. Jesus appears to the disciples and believers on a mountainside in Galilee. This is the resurrected Lord, Jesus, standing there face to face in their presence. They're looking at him, listening to him, and they're still doubting. Anybody else ever been in that situation? You see it, but... You, you, you can't believe it. You can't wrap your head around it. And then we go back to the Old Testament. Doubt's been around forever. We have Abraham and Sarah. They doubted so much that they laughed when God told them about the promise of a son. I mean, they're old, 100 years old, 99 years old, respectively. 
And their doubt was so strong and that they laughed at God's promise. Whether they had given up hope. But what is doubt? The dictionary defines doubt to be uncertain about something, to believe that something may not be true or is unlikely, or to have no confidence in something or someone. That last part, to have no confidence. A doubt as a word has a very negative connotation. We think a doubt is bad, and it can be. If we allow that doubt to fester and for our fears and anxiety to fuel doubt, it can even be deadly. However, Thomas gives us an example of how doubt can be healthy. Yeah, I said that right. Healthy doubt. See, although he was skeptical and doubted the resurrection that the disciples were recounting to him, he was still loyal to the Christ followers. And in his heart, he was still loyal to Jesus. But Thomas, what he did, how that doubt was healthy, was that he allowed that doubt to help him seek, it fueled him seeking answers to his questions. It turned him to seek Jesus, to find out the truth. And when that doubt fuels us and turns us to a point where we're seeking answers, where we're seeking Jesus, who is the, the one true answer to all our doubts and fears, to all our anxiety, when we use that to, to seek his face and his presence, then it can be good. However, doubt is a sin when it pulls us away from God. If we proclaim in one breath that God is all-powerful, and then we don't trust him to follow through. We take it into our own hands because of our doubt, our anxiety, our fears. Have you ever wanted something to happen, but God hasn't opened the door? It may even be something that you've discerned that it's his will for your life, but God's not moving on your timetable. He's, it's not on your schedule. And so we, we don't trust him and we pull that in and take it in, into our own control. When we take matters into our own hands and, and apply a crowbar, if you will, to that window or to that door and try to force it open, we allow that doubt to develop into pride. And we try to make things happen on our own. When we act in this manner, we become like Abraham and Sarah. They chose their own path to fulfill the promise of God instead of waiting on his time and his plan to unfold. And when we do this, it causes more anxiety and more strife. And that's the absence of peace. That's the absence of the peace of Christ, the peace of God. And that brings us to the third element in this gospel. Peace. If you look again at verse 19, it says, Christ enters. Now, we don't know how he came into the room. The door was locked. I don't know if he passed through it physically or if he just appeared. Either way, it's miraculous, and only Christ could do that. The New Living Translation of the Bible says, suddenly. It says, suddenly Jesus was standing among them. I'll go back to the illustration of what I picture this room looks like. And, you know, again, the lights are dim. Conversations are happening off to the side. They're pacing back and forth, peeking out windows, just kind of on edge. And then somebody turns and there's Jesus. 
standing in the room. I imagine there's some anxiety, fear, shock, joy, just kind of all balled into one bursting emotion. I'm sure there's some drop jaws, but I know nobody's blinking in this room. They're just... Then Christ bids them peace. Then he shows them the wounds in his hands and his side. And then they were joyful. So, you know, Thomas is getting a bad rap because he doubted. But when he first appeared to the disciples, they weren't sure what they were looking at. They, they doubted also. But when Christ identified himself, there was joy. And he offered them peace again. There were three times in this gospel passage where Christ offered peace. And it was a week later when he was appeared suddenly again back in the room. And this time Thomas was there. And Thomas, Thomas exclaims, my Lord, my God, when he sees the wounds and identifies Christ. And Jesus says, well, have you believed because you've seen? And then blessed are those who believe who have not seen. Now, I don't think Jesus was rebuking Thomas in this moment. Because everybody else to that point believed when they saw, when they identified. But I think it was a foreshadow to the early church that did not see Christ physically. It's a foreshadow to us sitting in this room today who have not physically seen Christ, but we still believe. Although we've not physically seen Jesus, we've been in his presence. And we have seen the results of our faith in Christ. And we have experienced healing changes and the freedom that he brings. His peace. Rodney Whitaker tells us in his commentary on John that this was not when Christ offered the peace to the disciples. It wasn't just a casual, contemporary greeting. This was reflective to the Old Testament. He was offering them the blessing of God. He, was, he breathed the Holy Spirit on them and offered that peace of God. He gave them the blessing of the Father. The, the biggest thing that, that impacts me in this gospel as I read it, and the biggest thing I want us to take away from this, is that Christ appeared to the disciples. Christ came again and appeared to Thomas a week later while he was there with the disciples. He met them where they were in their fear. And he met them where they were in their anxiety and their uncertainty. He met Thomas where he was in his doubt, came to them. He could have very easily sent messengers, hey, go get the disciples and bring them to me. But he went to them. Like the parable of the lost sheep, he seeks us out. He sought out the disciples. He seeks us out in our anxieties and fears. When, when we allow those emotions and, to control us and separate us from him, he comes and finds us, meets us where we are. And the promise in Matthew 28, 20, that Jesus is with us always. And there's great joy and freedom found in that peace and presence of Christ. So we've got fear, doubt, and the peace of Christ. But what do we do with it? How do we apply this to our lives? Just as Christ was commissioning the disciples to go and tell, he's commissioning us also to go and tell. He instructs us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 to go, to teach, to share, to give testimony 
to what Christ has done for us, what we've witnessed. Just as the disciples, we go from consumers of Christ, of receiving his blessing, to proclaimers of Jesus. It's our job and our responsibility to share the healing that Christ has brought to our lives, to share that freedom of Christ that we find. And as we do this, we continue to grow as Christ followers, and we give testimony to his power and encourage others to lean into Christ and to seek his peace and presence. Brothers and sisters, it's in that spirit and in closing that I'll leave you with this. As you may or may not know, I help facilitate the Celebrate Recovery Ministry here at St. Paul's. And it was on June 28, 2014, that Jesus met me where I was. And if the truth be known, he was there the whole time. I just hadn't turned to see him. I was struggling with alcohol. I had fears about who I was. I even doubted what the future looked like. I doubted because I was functioning. I doubted that I had any issues and I allowed all that fear and doubt just to kind of fester and turn into pride and I wasn't seeking the truth. I couldn't see what I was being told, what Christ was, was speaking into my life. But praise God, my Jesus is bigger than all the doubts and fears and anxiety in my life, all the struggles. And he removes those chains of doubt and fear and brings us peace and healing. Father, thank you that you are bigger than our fears and doubts. We thank you for the freedom and peace found in your son, Jesus. But Father, we thank you so much for meeting us where we are. It is in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.